Our guest today is Mary Reynolds. She's a reformed landscape gardener. In 2002, she won the Chelsea Flower Show in an underdog story so good that Hollywood actually made a movie about her. It's called Dare to be Wild. The whole story of how Mary brought beauty in nature to the world of taking the nature out of nature is incredible. And it's actually how we came across Mary. But it's not what we spoke about. Honestly, we thought about asking her questions about this wild story. But Mary was just too interesting in the present. If you'd like to hear more about that time, you can read up online or you can check out the movie. And today's conversation was all about the importance of connecting with nature and truly learning from it, listening to the valuable life lessons that it can teach us. So we learn about the relationship between Mother Earth, plants and humans and how we can learn, heal and help each other. So what we mostly spoke about was how to build an ark. Now, this is a term that Mary's created. It's an act of restorative kindness. And although that's one way of describing it, I actually love the metaphor of building something that has all of the nature inside that you're planning to save tucked happily away and you're guarding it, bringing it into the future. It's the process of donating part of your land or garden and creating sanctuary corridors and restoring our natural ecosystems and habitats by building a patchwork quilt of hope that wrapped itself around the world. Now, these are actually Mary's words. Here she is. But now I find places that are hopeful. And those places are art. Mm. Because it's, it's people intentionally saying to their land, I hear you, I see you, I'm giving you back to yourself. I'm setting you free. I'm taking off the bondage chains that have been upon you for countless generations and I'm going to create one candle of hope in this absolute dark time we're living through hmm. um, and so one patch of hope has the incredible ripple effect of inspiration among your friends your family etc etc and once you come over to the side of the fence really I promise you look at gardens and you just can't, can't understand what that's all about anymore. And throughout our chat, Mary emphasised the crucial role of biodiversity, all creatures, big and small, which includes ourselves in maintaining these healthy ecosystems. And the overriding message in this conversation for me was the need to take personal responsibility for our impact on the environment, listening and working with the natural world and making conscious choices in our daily lives in order to become true guardians of the earth and all the life that she carries. You're listening to the Neighbour Food Podcast. We are Jack and Jolene, and here's our guest, Mary Reynolds. First of all, thank you so much for joining us, Mary. It's really brilliant to actually be able to see you on the other side of my screen, but to chat to you is a bit of a privilege. Um, and for those of you, I guess, who are listening and maybe god forbid they haven't heard of you <laughs> you are um well, ireland's one of i suppose a leading advocate for nature really you're known for your work as a gardener and you won the gold medal at the chelsea flower show and um, one of the youngest contestants i believe and i think it was really interesting that you describe yourself as like a reformed landscape gardener now um, so maybe we might dig into that as well um, and of course then you you've brought out a couple of interesting books too which I've read The Garden and Awakening and the most latest one which is We Are the Ark so 
I don't know about you guys, but I think it'd be really cool to actually dig right into what We Are The Ark is about. And maybe we can kind of figure out then how you came to that realisation um, afterwards. What do you think? Yeah. So I guess, yeah. What What is an ark? Can you maybe tell us what the importance of it is and what's it all about? Sure. Um, it's funny when you come over to my side of the fence and you look at, you look back at the whole culture of gardening and landscape design, it's just really all you can say is what in God's name is that all about? Like, mm. Because um, basically we're, we're in it, we're in a crisis, which, you know, I'm sick of people telling us we're in a crisis, but we're, we're, we're in this biodiversity crisis, the collapse mm. of nature is happening all around us. And, it's much more understandable for mm. people to grasp than the climate kind of science and everything. And but it's also um, it's also uh, much more it's much more important and much more of a problem because mm. it's like like you know we've lost seventy five percent of the insects in the last since you know industrial farming kicked in in the seventies and. Um, and you know, light has increased everywhere. There's so many issues, um, but we've lost seventy, I think, seventy-eight percent of all our wildlife on the planet since in the last fifty years as well. So, I mean, the the Earth is one body; it's one organism, and it's mm. made of all these millions of creatures. And you know, scientists estimate there's like eight point seven million species on the planet, and we've only cataloged one point two million. Wow. and we're losing them at the rates in disestimates we're, we're, that we're losing 20 to 200 species to extinction every single day i've never actually been able to pin down those figures i think that the you know i think it's more likely to be in the lower range you know mm. much more likely but even so like that's crazy because when they're gone they're not coming back and all the creatures that make up this system that keeps us living here that allows us to have a livable planet every single one of them have a really important role to play and it's like this web full mm -hmm. thread. And each one of the creatures is a thread and you know at some point if we keep pulling those threads out the whole web is going to collapse and that web is going to collapse i estimate within five to ten years if we don't wow. come and you know there's 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 just we have no idea of what point it's all going to fall apart and because of the working system of, you know, multiple layers of life that keep everything going with all the interconnections and interactions, which are incredibly intelligent and they're not random. They're all interwoven into each other, into interwoven into each other's life cycles. Um, they, they, they keep us with clean water, food, clean air, shelter, a livable planet, you know. And if if we keep ignoring them, then we get we don't get to live here anymore. Mm. Because all the creatures that live here, we're the only ones without a purpose. We're the only ones without a connection to that web. I don't know where we came from or what the crack is, but the only thing we can possibly be is the caretakers. Otherwise, we have no role here. So even if we never had that role, but we did, I think. I think. I think we always had that role. I think even though it, the, the planet would be fine without us, but the fact that we're here, our ancestors are always, you know, knew that our job was to take care of this planet. 
Um, otherwise, we don't get to stay here anymore. So I think when it all it's all started to fall apart, there's a couple of things that broke broke our connection to that understanding. One was religion. Um, when when religion started kicking in, we were kind of we were kind of convinced that we didn't need to worry about this life here, this this planet here, because it was all about preparation for the next one. So we could do whatever the fuck we wanted, really. And the other the other thing was industrial agriculture, particularly or agriculture full stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really severed our connections. It was all about taking, and there was there wasn't a kind of a circle. It wasn't about giving back. It was about taking. You know, and so the earth is like our mother because our bodies are made from her. Hmm. All of our food comes from her, her atmosphere, and um, everything we are is 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 given by the mother for us. And when we die, we go back into the earth. Our bodies feed back into the earth. Hmm. Unfortunately, these days, because the amount of preservatives in our food, our bodies aren't even breaking down anymore. So we can't even give <laughs> back, you know, yeah. in that very last moment. Um, but um, she can't take it anymore. She can't take it anymore. We've stripped her bare. And I'm I'm fairly convinced that an awful lot of the climate collapse is down to us stripping her bare. And I've seen a lot of studies recently that if you, re- if you replace, you know, a working ecosystem, the keystone species, if you replace things like elephants and tigers, and, you know, but it's the whole network. Like one thing doesn't solve it. Like the whole network of, of, of life has to be replaced and we have mm-hmm. to with it um that 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 it 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 traps all that carbon instantly like 98 percent of the stuff that we're chasing through all these ridiculous technologies and terrible plantations of monoculture crops you know mm-hmm. um we, we, we it's a very simple fix you know it's a very mm-hmm. fix if we can just restore this planet back to its thriving throbbing network of life we get to continue living here. Yeah. Good news is that it happens very, very, very quickly. Okay. If um, like the restoration process is incredibly fast, like fast in terms of nature's time, mm-hmm. is very, very slow generally, but it actually happens fast in terms of human time. So, I realized when I came across um. Kind of the, the kind of final nail in the coffin of my career as a garden designer i i realized that um i can't keep doing what it's doing and i realized there was no point in waiting for our so-called leaders to step up because they're caught in a web of their own weaving they're they're woven in with corporates and they're woven mm. in with lobbyists. they cannot make a difference they can't do anything even if they wanted to the structure of politics is just the way it is you mm-hmm. know um, eventually, with enough pressure from people below, they will change. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the general population feels powerless to to do anything, to make these changes, because what are the solutions we're being offered to the crisis we're facing? Electric cars, absolute bullshit. You know, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the the circle of production in those, it's 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 bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know? greenwash and people think if they get an electric car they're part of the solution and you have to think for yourself like you have to think for yourself you have to research the things that you're being offered as solutions they're not solutions like we, we have to leave fossil fuels in the ground yes yeah but the solution isn't an electric car the solution is local living and i don't mean that awful 15 minute bullshit city thing they're talking about i mean freedom of choice to live locally because you can mm-hmm. because 
know, your food is produced locally. Your energy is produced locally. There's a shit off public transport system where you can go wherever you want. An electric vehicle, that's fine if there's only a few of them, you know, and, and, and you can go wherever you want. And you don't have to get into a car and you can walk and you can cycle and your kids are safe on the roads. They're not going to be run down by the 200 million speeding teenagers that pass by. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's life is so simple if we can just step into it. So leadership is not going to solve it. So who's going to solve it? I talk too much. I'm afraid no, of you're, you're no, playing a blinder. I'm like just stop. fascinated by, <laughs> by this. Keep that train going. <laughs> So politicians can't solve it, right? So what we need to do is empower people to actually put pressure on the politicians. Mm. But they, they can't, um, just gonna break for a second. Hey, Ruby, you have to be quiet out there, your horse, okay? <laughs> so what we have to do, um, the, so the solutions lie in um, empowering people. And so, even though it seems like a small thing, if every single one of us takes any patch of land we have under our care mm. and we give it back to nature and restore as many layers of ecosystem as we can within that, mm. by allow, working in a, a serious co-creation with her, it's not about, she's had enough of us imposing our, our creative visions upon it, you know? I mean, Gardens are just, I just find them abusive. I find okay. them the violence upon the earth. Now I can't look at them. I just mm. find it horrific. And yet I know the people who are doing them, they don't see it like that. They mm-hmm. see it as their way of connecting with nature, as their way of being part of, you know, of their way of doing something beautiful. And But like the earth is like the embodiment of the feminine energy. And, you know, women um, have had enough of only being valued for being pretty or productive. And mm-hmm. the land is exactly the same. You know, we, the, 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 nobody is interested in only being valued at mm-hmm. what it looks like. Or, um, but that's, I mean, like you see it with women, they, they try their hardest to stay young looking. Mm-hmm. They have to look a particular way if they're going to be getting any attention at all. Um, they, they can't, um, and the earth only gets, needs our love, you know. And so if, if we force our gardens into a pink tutu and tell it, you know, has to stay like that now and smile when the neighbours come around and, you know, we beat it back into submission if, 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 if she tries to develop as she has to in order to take care of all her creatures. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a relationship and, 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 and an interaction between your land and yourself, which is very real. And, um, you know, if you only love your land, if it looks a particular way, it will accept that very, very poor version of love and it will it will it will reflect it back at you. Mm-hmm. But if you set your land free and you, you actually listen to it and you work with it and you try and develop what I call an arc, which is an act of restorative kindness to the earth so that nobody thinks it's some kind of a mad religious cult. It's not. It's just <laughs> I, I love the image of an arc as a place of sanctuary, you know, and if we can restore as many patches as possible. And, and and develop wildlife corridors through our farmers if we can get them on board and you know riparian belts along all our our rivers that create you know the wildlife areas or sanctuary for for our our, our beleaguered kin you know then we have some hope you know mm-hmm. because because patch by patch we can create a patchwork quilt of hope that wraps its way around this earth and it is happening like on 
I, the amount of people that are contacting me since the book came out, it has exploded because I knew that would happen. I didn't want to write a book, but I had written all the information on the website and I thought, look, that's enough. Then people can get it for free. They don't yeah. need it. But no, nobody reads websites. <laughs> And, and what you produced was a beautiful book too, by the way. It's uh, it's absolutely gorgeous and it's really easy to read and the illustrations in it are captivating. So I think I think you absolutely encapsulated the idea as well. Um, I love that how you've summarised that and that an arc really is a bit of a call for hope for the land like and it's just going to, well, maybe get us a little bit out of this hot mess that we're in. Um, how can people build an arc? Okay, well, it's very simple, really. Um, you can do, you just, uh, what I ask is that they give half of any land they under their care back. Okay. If they can, if they can. And in the other half, that they grow their own food without chemicals, regenerative, symbiotic way, even, as you talked about earlier. Um, but if they have loads, if they've land left over, they've more land than they need for growing their own food that they offer to friends and family who don't have any land for growing food and they create communities around growing food because um, what happens is we need to develop the networks above ground and the networks underground again, you know, and so that so we're we're sorry, I know I go off on tangents, so you mm. can call me back. Okay, no, you're fine. This isn't a tangent at all. This is uh, this is a point. beautiful flow. It's like a river of thoughts. <laughs> it's I'm, I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes here. <laughs> so there's so our ancestors all understood that we are a direct mirror reflection of the land beneath our feet. So okay. our health is a mirror of the land's health. And you know, you can see we're not healthy, you know. People are not healthy. Mm. And um, the land is, 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 you know, is really stressed and anxious, actually, you know, mm -hmm. when I walk around and, and we, we, we feel the same, you know, that we feel hopeless, we feel anxious, we feel, you know, almost barren, you know, mm. and that's, and that's how the land feels. In the hopeless feeling is the one that that is the strongest for me when I walk around. But now I find places that are hopeful, and those places are arcs mm. because it's it's people intentionally saying to their land, "I hear you, I see you, I'm giving you back to yourself, I'm setting you free, I'm taking off these bondage chains that have been upon you for countless generations, and I'm going to." create one candle of hope in this absolute dark time we're living through hmm. um, and so one patch of hope has the incredible ripple effect of inspiration among your friends your family etc etc and once you come over to the side of the fence really i promise you look at gardens and you just can't you can't understand what that's all about anymore Mm. anyway I said that already but so an arc is basically it's basically a kind of a restored ecosystem in as mm -hmm. layers of it as you can do as possible so you can even do a mini arc on a windowsill or a balcony um, yeah. or a tiny garden and so if you had a working ecosystem you'd need about 1500 acres okay. if you had to put back all the different creatures that you know would need to be there 
or you need a lot lot bigger say where the huge animals the huge mammals still live you know mm -hmm. but just say in a small little patch of land in the suburban garden or something or a bit bigger whatever let's just start there um the idea is that you can't have all those creatures there so you have to step in and become the wolf become you know the become the wolf is it yeah okay become, become the deer become so you have to carry out the services that they would normally do mm -hmm. they hold an ecosystem into many different layers mm -hmm. they like you know like the wild boar would have rooted around and um made bare patches of earth which creates opportunities for the annual wildflowers to come out sure which have yeah incredibly intricate relationships with insects and if they mm -hmm. don't get a chance to come out those insects don't have their part plant partners for example mm -hmm. um you know you so you so you would you know the deer would 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 nibble back the shoots of brambles otherwise the brambles would take over you know course, and so yeah. we have to step in and become all those creatures but on mm -hmm. a very simple level what that means is that you depending on how much land you have you try and create many different layers of a native plant community ecosystem as possible okay that means you'd have you'd start with some bare scratched up earth every mm -hmm. year and you'd have a mown bit like a mown path or an area of lawn mm -hmm. you don't take any more than you need mm -hmm. that's really it's all about giving back as much of it as you can so you don't need a two acre lawn you don't need like even all of it to be a lawn you just need as much lawn as, as you need each all right like so maybe when you're if you have kids they might need a bit more to play play games um but when they grow past that you can give that back you know mm -hmm. keep a little bit of lawn where you can lie down really feel your skin on her skin you know which is always really important or but anyway the point is that you could just mow a path through a meadow which is the no the next area because mm -hmm. The large herbivores would have kept that lawn as lawn as such. If you know what I mean, lawn is a different, but the grazed areas are your lawn. And then gotcha. your arc meadow, which is not like this, you know, multiple flowering kind of gardener's meadow that we've all been fed. It's a much more subtle and soft um, and, it, and it's working with the seed bank that's in your ground. It's not about bringing in seeds mm. because um, there's, huge amount of local adaptations evolutionary adaptations in your in in your area and the plants and the insects are different to the ones that are like 15 miles away you know gotcha. so, yeah in, and also this anyway i'll get into that in a second and then you have um a kind of a thorny area of brambles and black thorn and black you know thorns mm. which is like a nursery for woodland to emerge so then you'd have woodland but that scrub is actually incredibly beneficial and, okay. has, and and all the life is in the edges between those different layers of ecosystem and so you want to have as many edges as possible mm -hmm. and then within that you you have um as many supports for them as possible so po a pond is hugely helpful mm. because the source of clean water is almost non-existent because mm. agriculture has poisoned all our, our rivers and we're pumping sewage into them on top of that and so we can't, you know, we have to create as many clean sources of water for wildlife as possible because they are really desperate. And so a pond is great. If you can't afford to put in a pond, even if you can get a big bowl and sink it into the ground. Yeah, how easy is it to make a pond, really? Is it is it a case of just putting a bowl with some liner or, or in there? Like, could anybody make a pond in their garden? Excellent. Easily, easily done. Easily done. You just have to put, if it's just a bowl, 
you have to kind of if you can get one of those little um solar powered bubbly things or fountains to keep the water moving mm-hmm. and find some native water plants that you can put in and put in a ramp as well so that if they fall in they can get out you okay. know really important mm. um and could that be as simple now as a couple of twigs or a log or something like that basically falling into the pond is it yeah, yeah. a log to make steps for like a hedgehog to get out if they mm-hmm. fall in you know and also just want to say this while i think of it anybody who has one of those cattle grids at the end of their lane cattle it's, grid. Cattle grid. it's a cattle grid you it's know like the, the bars the bars that oh go, yeah okay gotcha like a they, it's a ground thing to stop cattle coming up your lane gotcha. um, and so if, if anybody has one of them would they please put ramps in it i don't know how many hedgehogs have fallen into those things and died mm. they can't get mm. out any other features so just to just just i might reach a few people with that concept you know? yeah no that, and, and that's very simple actually and it's interesting that I suppose these kind of things that you're saying are accessible to nearly everybody from like the windowsill to somebody with a back garden to even a farmer can make a difference there by having a little ramp for the hedgehogs. Um, Is this a concept that farmers um, are taking on board at the moment or is it a bit of a struggle? And do you think for them to understand the system? Because often I find that farmers are the biggest advocates as well for environmentalism and um, I guess they want to, they have as much hope for a good world as you do. What's your experience with that? I did a degree in agriculture university and um, there was no reference to biodiversity anywhere. Okay. And so I'm not so sure that farmers understand the the problem we're facing. Um, The ones that do are just amazing, amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's wonderful ones around. And, but the other ones are, they're just trying their best to make a living. Like mm. they're really stressed. They're under pressure. Um, fortunately, they're caught in this system of payments, which mm. penalizes them if they have any land which isn't used for production. You know, and um, I've heard that that's changed in path, but I I haven't seen any evidence of it yet. But um, that like they really need to be supported to become advocates you know proper guardians of the land because they own most of it you mm. know um, and the concept of ownership of land is crazy in itself but um because you know we're only here for a moment and how dare we say we own land you know but the, mm. but the hope in that concept is that at least if people can look after the patch that they own in inverted commas mm. you, know, you know then at least they, that bit can be protected you mm. know um, but yeah, farmers have a huge potential to be a big part of the solution. And I just think that most farmers that are going, most farmers, they need to step outside of the system they're in, really. And they need to think outside the box. And they need to think, why are they being told to spray four fungicides a year? You know, mm. I mean, there is solutions. Regenerative farming offers a solution, which takes away all those costs um, and allows them to, to restore you know, working ecosystems within their within their farms as well. But yeah, what, what's what's often what I find and what's often overlooked is that um when we talk about it changing because like no one likes to be told that they're stupid. So these topics tend to kind of spark a lot of resistance in a way from 
farmers who've been doing something for generations and they're being told one thing by the people that they should believe they should trust and then they're kind of being accused of of being so wrong by by another but the what what we realized we've had a good few chats with different types of farmers over the last two years with this podcast and a lot of the farmers who've embraced an alternative way of looking at the work that they do with their land and and employing different methods looking very much outside of the system and outside of the box it's the result isn't really landing in a place where they can say now I don't use chemicals or now I don't use certain types of equipment and I'm managing to achieve the same result for the same amount because I I've, I I kind of went into this naively thinking that's what the goal should be is convincing people that you don't have to do it that way fertilizer is going through the roof there's loads of different ways that you can treat your land and be able to deal with pests or any other types of problems you have the reality is that most people when I say that they actually look back at me stupidly and say but that's not the truth what actually happens is higher yields and naturally control pest control so when when you talk about devoting and let's just go back to the garden thing again when devote part of your garden to um an ark you know give give back to nature and give this I, I would say it's kind of almost um incorrect to say that that's all it is because it's probably going to be more beautiful than your manicured part of your garden and almost all, like almost everybody agrees with that that a really beautiful piece of nature is more beautiful than anything you can possibly cultivate yourself mm. and the biodiversity that is created there will bring a huge amount of health to the rest of your garden and to the air you breathe and everything. And I think that what we've, what I've realized in the chats that we're having with farmers is that it's not about trying to achieve the same results without using the chemicals. It's actually about trying to achieve way better results. Like Jolene, do you remember what the, the Kevin said about the tomatoes on the plant that if he. Oh yes, this guy was mm. um, a Korean natural farmer. Uh, so he was using. Um, he was fermenting uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. anything, he, natural components that he found around his farm. So he would go to a woods and he would take bark from trees and he would take shrubs from underneath and, and weeds and yeah. different types of things. And he would create concoctions, fermented concoctions, and then use those as, as his fertilizer. Mm. In, in, and in he was soil. having great yields. He was very, very proud of that as well, actually. So he was having yeah. yields 30, 30% higher than when he used all the, the top products to, you know, so for him, it wasn't about trying to eliminate intervention, chemical intervention in his farm. It was like the efforts I'm making actually make more money for me, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that that's something really um that farmers i feel like when i mean i talk to a specific specific type of farmer they're yeah. already there if you know mm -hmm. what i mean i'm not speaking to someone who isn't there yet psychologically but the results are are outstanding in a way and 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 to work with different ways of doing things like agroforestry and mm -hmm. all the ways of working it creates different layers of projects instead of just one and mm -hmm. You know they they do exist um like you say but um i just don't think the information is out there and they have to go looking for it and mm, so that's actually what i wanted to yeah. to ask you so like obviously farmers would need the information and the the and the majority of the supports that they're given are coming from governmental levels and it's not moving fast enough maybe or it's not being informed correctly but let's come back again to the garden i actually have just bought a house so i now have a garden i've never had a garden before exactly. and it's very well made and kept. It's very healthy. And there is a lot of loads of different things there. I'm not too familiar with what's native to here because first of all, I'm not here that long. So I haven't really learned much about it. But also 
I need to do a little bit of studying because I, ca I can't identify a lot of the plants yet because we're it's the beginning of spring and nothing has really come through. But I'm now saying to myself, I need to do the research. I need to figure out what's native to this area, what works really well here, what can help with the different things that I might need. How can I incorporate different elements? Where would someone who has a piece of land or who has a windowsill, um, where do you think that they should start in terms of figuring out what should I do? Well, a windowsill is is different. You just need to get a, a window box and then try and get. But some what local... to put in it, I suppose, is my question. You put in some soil, and then you go and collect um, local native seeds mm -hmm. uh, from what people call weeds, um, mm -hmm. or or fill it with native plants if you can get them. It's just they're very hard to buy. You know, people mm. don't generally sell them. You get like mm. trees, but you can't get anything else. Um, if you're there's sometimes you're not allowed to collect seeds, so you have to get a license. But generally, people are not interested in most of the wild plants, you know. Mm. So that's how you deal with a balcony or a windowsill, and then you can add things like, uh, you know, a bird bath, and you know, uh, you know, kind of a little. you have this kind of rotting stuff in water there's a, a larvae kind of bath you wouldn't have them mm. where you have mosquitoes you know because you don't want to you know have them but you can put them in there's a lot of larvae that need that kind of rotting watery places for mm -hmm. cycles so you can keep bunches of um you know you can create little bug hotels you can start to have these um crazy relationships with the birds that start to come um, if you want to have feeding stations and you know you can you can you can create a magical little window for yourself where you can actually have strong relationships with nature and it's and especially in these large cities they can be like these really important like service stations in a very very long highway where there's no stop off mm -hmm. and so um Everything that people can do is going to be helpful. But if you have a garden, the first thing you do is do nothing. And you watch and get to know the land and see what happens if you let it go for a year. Um, mm. Although, no, sorry, let me back up. The first thing I would do is I'd take out any non-native okay. plants, if you can. If you can't, I'd take out basic. The basic line is take out any non-native invasive plants. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, then if you have trees and shrubs that are kind of gardeny things, you know, spend a lot of time observing them, see if there's things nesting in them or if, if they provide a really important source of, of support for the wildlife. If they don't, I would take them out and I would use them to create um, piles of dead wood and, and replace them with meat. Mm. Um, so, but the, the, so the first thing she was nothing, and then I would allow any lawn you have to grow, I'd mow a path through it. So that would be kind of in the beginning as well. So you can still use the space and then watch and see what emerges from the lawn. If you find that it's too thick with grass, then what I would do is in at the end of the summer then I would I would um cut back the lawn, if just this first year, and scrape kind of areas of lucky, hey. You okay, the dog is having a fish. She doesn't. <laughs> Sorry, you okay, pet? Hey, 
Sorry for interrupting your question. Don't worry at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we're scraping back the lawn after the first year. Okay, That's where so we are. First, yeah, thank you. So the first year, what I would do is I would I would cut back the lawn. Just the first year, cut the lawn back in, in, in September, you know, August, September. And then I would scarify a good few patches in it. Hmm. Put in, um, well, over here, what it is, is, is you're putting in a, 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 these semi-parasitic wildflowers, which are generally dependent upon what part of the world what the name of them is but over here they're called either red bartsia or yellow rapsia. you can buy that from you can either collect it locally if you know where to get some or you can buy it from various places just make mm -hmm. sure it's Ireland or okay. you know, don't, don't buy it in and um that will live off the roots of the grasses um to a large part and weaken them and allow the seed bank below to throw up whatever else is there because the earth has a massive amount of intelligence for her own healing and mm -hmm. we keep trying to impose what we think is the right thing to do we're always going to come up against problems you know so really what you're doing is supporting the earth to heal itself so there's five thousand weed seeds in every square foot of soil and all they need is one thirtieth of a second's worth of light to be activated yeah. so they're there waiting and you'll see it in compacted soil. The things that will come up are the things that have very deep roots to break up the compacted soil. Mm -hmm. Or if you see really, really fertile soil, you'll see nettles and things like that. And and but the earth puts up what is needed first for her mm. own soil restoration. And if we keep putting in what we think is gonna work, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. So it's about um allowing those plants to come out because the native like one the major problem over here and in wildlife gardening narrative in general is that people have been told this false narrative that you know there's all this wonderful stuff like you know in the all Ireland all nature plan and stuff there's loads of support out there for wildlife you know and what to do but mm -hmm. one thing that is being told worldwide is if you put in all these flowery plants um that are non-native we talk about bee pollinating plants and what like wild seed bombs and things like this is it yeah well like okay. not wild seed bombs pollinating plants pollinating plants okay nature friendly plants are a disaster so they are they people feel that they can continue doing what they're doing in their garden because they planted some of them and sure i'm great and it's not right you know to tell people that they're helping when they're not helping because those non-native plants, yes, the insects will be attracted to them. It's like putting a fast food restaurant in your garden. They're going to love it. Mm. But as a result, they don't they don't pollinate um, the native, often insignificant plants that they've evolved alongside over millennia that they have very important relationships with. And so their larvae have focused all their attention to eat generally one or two specialist plant they're called specialists so they mm -hmm. plants plants are so good at protecting themselves they're full of chemicals and the larvae have worked really hard over countless eons to only eat this particular plant say so if an insect has you know a great feed in your garden that's great but then it has nowhere to lay its eggs so it doesn't have the ability to reproduce a new generation of its own species mm -hmm. If it doesn't pollinate the native plants, they start to retreat. And plants are disappearing at a rate much faster than everything else. Okay. Plants. 
disappearing. And if those plants aren't pollinated, they don't they don't get to stay there, right? And as a result, the insects don't have their plant partners to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And those larvae are just the most important food source from everything up. Birds need 80% larvae to create um to create a new generation of birds. 80% larvae and 20% spiders is what they feed their young. They don't feed them seeds from the bird table. And if they don't have access to those larvae, they can't create a new generation of their young. Gotcha. And so, you know, people are being told this narrative and it's wrong. It's it's a garden industry supporting narrative. Mm -hmm. It's not a wildlife supporting narrative, you know? Mm -hmm. Really what you need to do is restore native plant ecosystems. Yeah. And they're very complex. So that means we can't put them in, you know, on a complex level, but nature will. If you and see. if we take out the non-native plants, that's going to basically help towards that. Tell me, how can we find out what are our native plants? Is this, is this just Google, find yeah. out what, what's in your area, look around in your forests? Um, what would you suggest for people to, you to be find looking around because, because, I mean, our, our land is now infiltrated with so many non-native invasive okay. plants. You wouldn't really, you do need to know what those are because you don't want to be spreading them around, you know. Mm. Could you, you give us a few examples of what we should have in Ireland or is it very specific to each particular region within well, even our own country? I mean, you know, there's layers of trees and shrubs and like oak, mm. oak like mm. supports, supports, they reckon or the different 600 insects or 700 insects or something like that. But willow is just behind it at um, a living oak, I mean, but a, a dead oak supports thousands of creatures. Mm. That dead wood is incredibly important, you know. And then, um, you know, willows are just a little bit behind oak in the amount of insects that have relationships with it that are is vital for them to, to, to live. And then that's, then there's all the different trees. There's elders, there's roads, there's, um, hawthorns, blackthorns, you know, you know, aspen. Um, yeah, there's so many different creatures here, and then there's the shrubs. You know, we have a very simple palette of plants here, but that's the key. Like we have a really simple palette of plants, right? Mm. And then you go all the way down to the the native grasses and the native wild plants, the native wild flowers, and um, then you've got your fungi. You've got, you know, there's a whole network mm. and interaction with creatures but um the the thing is like just because you have an arc it doesn't mean that it's a mess like you know you can design a garden but it's an arc and mm. you, can, mm. you can use the, the concepts of of arcing to create a really beautiful space mm. which allows you to have more edges between the ecotones and edges between the different layers of ecosystem and you know you can create dead hedges to make edges to things um can... i think the fear there might be and you said about it being beautiful is that people think that weeds are ugly and we yep. have this portrayal of weeds being not good <laughs> so how do we kind of reverse that like that that that's the thing it's it's how how do we make that be as beautiful as the flowering non-native plants most people are worried about what their neighbors think rather than what they think themselves mm. so what they should do is the first step is to make your own arc sign. Okay. And people make their own sign saying this is an arc 
and they put the website underneath it in case the neighbors come around with the spray to help them out you know the way <laughs> and, that, and that informs them what's going on um and so it's it's a hugely supportive thing and so people have made the most amazing signs all around the world out of all sorts of weird and wonderful bits and pieces from there and the sign says this is an arc with a link to the website is it yeah and it says active restorative kindness if they can manage it as well just you know to get away from the crazy cult idea and then <laughs> you know and then they become warriors as the okay. wrong activists when they like the guardians. guardians but almost overnight when they make the decision that they're going to have an ark instead of a garden almost overnight it's almost like your intention is given to the land and your thoughts. This is how I feel about it. It's like the land can read your feelings and your thoughts. And if you say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It's like a, a sigh of relief comes over the land. And the amount of creatures that turn up almost overnight is phenomenal. Well, and when, yeah. and then all those creatures become part of your family and your heart opens mm. to include all of them. You become incredibly protective of them. Mm. And when you leave your ark, you see all those other places are just lost opportunities mm. and you start to become an activist in your own community. And mm. so that's where the key is. That's the key is that people don't see weeds anymore as weeds or they don't look at their land as only being valid if it's pretty. They see how many creatures is this plant supporting, you know? Mm. What, what? How many more of those are there can I bring in to help, you know, support? You know, if I... Like I brought in, you know, elder buckthorn here and purging buckthorn, which are two native shrubs, which I've never seen anywhere in Wexford. So I bought some from Future Forest in West Cork because, you know, they support brimstone butterflies and mm. who can, you know, and other creatures that, that, that need them for their larvae to reproduce. Um, so, you know, I brought them in because that means I get to support them and they mm. might, if I end up seeing them here, I'm so excited. Like I saw... Like I had, and I, I, my dad has a farm and they're all, they're all gone now, but he'd left me this field and it was an agricultural field. And, you know, a few years ago, I started developing it into an arc and I only moved in here a year and a half ago. So now I'm kind of powering ahead, you know, mm. but it's all the work that I do myself and I can only do so much because I'm fairly shagged at this stage of my life and I'm also tired <laughs> and <laughs> raising lads and um, I'm trying to run a business and all that stuff. So I can only do so much, but what I have done is very simple stuff. Like I put in a little bit of a dry stone wall. I did a bit of industrial arcing. You know, I got out a, a, a dug out a pond with clay. Nice. I spent a, a yeah. ghost pond on the land and I dug it out. And like this land has the, the like it's just incredible what's living here now. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. lizards yesterday. Lizards, like I haven't seen lizards since I was a kid. You know, and, that's amazing. <laughs> Where did they come from? Like, where did they come from? Because I'm mm. surrounded by land which is farmed very intensively, you know? And so how did they find me? How did they get here? Like, how the hell did they find me? You know, were they mm. dropped in by an ego or what happened? <laughs> you know? mm. It was <laughs> life or death for them to find it, you know? So the... <laughs> they knew, they knew where to go. Um, yeah. That's lovely. I suppose but... another thing that's overlooked as well is that this this approach to dealing with land, it's 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 way less effort per square foot, you know, because it doesn't cost anything. It, it doesn't nature's doing its old work. You're taking plants that you can find on the side of the 
the the road and a wood and planting you know things you find around the place in um and it grows so much better than anything else because it's meant to grow there you mm. know so you, it's way more productive mm. so you have a garden and you want to bring it to life well you're probably your best chance if you want it to happen quickly is to do this you know yeah um it's it's quite a nice kind of positive uh positive outlook on something that's fairly grim really in general um i was wondering about kind of young people today and those who are kind of passionate about environmentalism what advice would you give to them in terms of making a difference in the world Mary? Um, I think... Um, you should put her on the spot there, Jolene, anyway. Did I? <laughs> this isn't going to knock a matter out of Mary. Way to ruin her experience with us. <laughs> ask so, me that question. so for the young people that are out there today and they're really passionate about environmentalism and climate change and they want to make a difference, like, what advice would you give them? I'd say to them, don't believe everything you're told. You know, research do some mm. research like think for yourself you know find the solutions the true solutions you know the ones you're being offered are not solutions mm. you know mm. um if you you know look at look at the look at the origin of those solutions and where things end up and the amount of energy it takes to create them and mm. don't hope but put pressure on your parents you know to change because because you know you 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 guys are going to be hearing this a lot and you're going to be told oh sure the young people will fix this and just you know I turn around to them and say fuck off you know you guys are responsible for fixing this you guys are responsible you know you may not have caused it but you're perpetrating it and it's we don't have time we don't have time to wait for our generation to fix this because it'll mm. be gone this has to be the most important work of all the people that are on the planet right now mm. because everything will change if we can restore the earth's health you know poverty will change and you often hear this stuff about you know well how are we going to feed the planet if we if we no, don't it's infuriating mm. isn't it infuriating it's and so infuriating yeah all you have to do is turn around to them and say you don't have to feed the planet you have to support the planet to feed themselves mm. and that is not an uh, you know an agricultural industry supporting narrative or a pharmaceutical industry supporting narrative you have to support everybody to mind their own health and their own um resources and um it's to try and take the power back from those that want to take it away from you know mm. don't just you know your own health is your own it's your body it's your health look after it yourself you 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 know look into what you're being told because we're not being told things that are true a lot of the time mm. so go back to finding out how people used to manage and how people used to live and you know we don't want to go back to, to hard ways of living or anything like that we have wonderful ways of melding what our you know wonderful technologies these days and you know simple living and you know just try and stay connected to people and mm. convince your parents if they have any land to give it back, you know, and, and to grow their own food um, and to support local um, regenerative producers um, if they can't, if they don't have anything. 
support other people to do that. Get on to your local governments, your local authorities, and tell them to, you know, turn their, you know, wastelands and brownfield sites and all those places into arcs and into community gardens where people can grow food. Um, get on to them to start putting in proper public transport. You know, pressure, bit of pressure, lads, you know, with mm. real solutions. Find the real solutions and pressure those that claim to be your elders. Pressure them into it. And most old people, be aware that most old people are worn out and war like kind of just barely getting from day to day and they just can't have the energy to, to do any of this. And so they'll only do it if you pressurize them into it. That's wonderful advice. Mary, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Is yeah, there thank anything, you. That was amazing. It was so, so lovely. You, you've got so much heartfelt passion and like this understanding of nature and the world and even like the way you kind of describe plant consciousness almost is is beautiful and it's really refreshing to to listen um to listen to you speak. Thank you. Is there anything that you feel we should maybe have, have talked about that we didn't mention already? Um, I just want to say that I, 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 I wasn't meaning to give out to farmers. I just I just think that there's a huge opportunity there for farmers to be part of the solution. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you gave out to farmers. I don't think you gave out to farmers. And it, it's just kind of like. I heard it much worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about the fishermen <laughs> oh yeah jesus yeah that's actually, that's actually oh, any, any thoughts on that before we break <laughs> yeah i mean we have to take the power back from all the industrial corporates we have to if 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 you know this idea that you know people have the ability to to come in and rape the seas and rape the, the, the seabeds and scrape the seas to being barren you know we really need to take back our power and you know put it put all those things back into the power of local people mm. and local fishing families you know who who don't take too much who who will create arcs in the sea and give some of it back to allow you know abundance to return you know mm. because we need arcs in the seas as well you know because the mm. seas to be hopping with life and, and we call it a shark if it becomes a sea arc. Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, we need a H in there somewhere. Sea, <laughs> heaven, act, I don't know. <laughs> Let's call it a shark. Healing. A sea healing. A ceiling. Healing arc. That's great. Healing. Well, the only other thing I'd say is that um, if, you know, we're drawn to places pieces mm. of land. they pull us in um mm. and we belong to them it's not the other way around you know and um if if you're lucky enough to be um to have a piece of land which is difficult for young people these days but that is going to change because we're going to have to take the land back at some point because mm. at the moment we're being forced into these cities you know and mm. really we need to have access to land you know and for more and more people to be able to grow food and to create relationships with nature so they can take care of it. And that that's kind of, you know, I, I would hope that we don't have to get to a point where a revolution is, 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 is where we're at. I would really hope that somehow we can get to a point where this just happens naturally, you know? 
Um, and I just want to say that the land that we're drawn to generally needs the same types of healing as we need ourselves. Mm. And um, the wonderful thing that comes from that is an old understanding that all the herbs that you need for your own healing grow within 10 foot of your back door or okay. 10 foot of your back door or something like that. And that's because the land is using those plants to heal itself. Um, and the, seeing as we need the same type of healing as that land, piece of land, there are the plants that will heal us as well, if you know how to use. So there's a lovely okay. layer of understanding there of, of connection with your own land and what is what it throws up if you let it and then what it might what that might mean. So you can research what those herbs that that turn up are used for and see how it reflects your own health. But that's interesting because we've been talking a lot about nettles in the last few episodes and all the, the benefits of nettles. Uh, even for making art and that also can be a nice healing process too for people yeah. <laughs> all right let's wrap it up there um thank you so much thank and you. people can find out more on wearethearc.org and join your facebook group i guess any yeah. other ways that people would should reach out to you no no that's enough in <laughs> fact don't reach out to me <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you so much, Mary. <laughs> Mary, you're an absolute legend. Thank so, you so, so many much. People, so many people contact me. I just can't. I can't keep on top of it. So if there's anyone out there who wants to, you know, step in and give me a hand because I'm screwed all together, lads. Um, I have a wonderful group of people who help me with the Facebook group. And they, they do the, all that for free, which is just amazing. But um, yeah, I can't. I can't manage. I can't manage it. It's growing so fast that I just... I don't know what I'm going to do, but sure, we'll figure it out as we go. I we'll guess. figure that one out. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for having the chats with me anyway. <laughs> Thank you. See you, Mary. Hopefully see you in person some stage. I hope so. Yeah, listen. Um, thank you so much Mary for taking the time to chat to us today and um, that was an absolutely fabulous conversation that I garnered so much from. So to learn about Mary's work well why not check out her own website it's marymary.ie or you can find her on Instagram at wildmarymary. Wearethearc.org is the website to find out more about building arcs and the movement that Mary has started. Or you can pick up one of Mary's beautiful books, The Garden Awakening 2016 or We Are the Ark 2022. Cool. Well, guys, you've been listening to the Neighbour Food Podcast. We are your hosts, Jolene Cronin and Jack Craddy, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Bye. Bye.